right? And in school, they teach you, and I've talked about this before, but like capital is supposed to be a, a fluid value transfer mechanism. It's not. It's, it's in practice, it's just cement. All it's doing is just ingraining existing structures. So when I found, you know, like free flowing capital that was on the internet and digitally native and was flowing all over the world to like brilliant, innovative new ideas that got me really excited uh, because, you know, everything that I had known was really like capital being constrained to Silicon Valley and everybody having access to those deals was in, you know, a bit of this boys club. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladin, and this week, our guest is Colborn Bell. Colborn is the founder and director of Museum of Crypto Art, and this virtual venture he got to via an unfulfilling career in traditional finance. So that unfulfillment served as a catalyst. Colborn goes on to create the museum, and now the museum hosts 250-piece collection of digital art that's been showcased worldwide. It's you know wildly in demand. Uh, and in the episode, Colborn goes into detail on how the museum started, what its mission is, and, and how it's being a, a showcase, a voice for the best, the weirdest, the most diverse voices in digital art all across the internet. Really cool stuff. Let's dive in. Colborn. Welcome to the podcast. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, you know, thanks for, for coming aboard and uh, excited to take this journey with you. Uh, I am too, you know. Uh, it's really only when somebody asks me questions that I actually get a chance to kind of think about what has happened. <laughs> well, uh, perhaps that's the, the greatest gift is to have... Uh, outside influence uh help with your own reflection facts it it can be a bit of an echo chamber in here sure uh well prior to it being an echo chamber uh did you ever envision starting becoming the uh founding uh the founder and director of the museum of crypto art was that uh even a blip on your early childhood mind I don't even think such a thing existed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, been, a, it's been a total uh, reinvention manifestation of, of the present. Yeah. And, and so and to that end, did you, growing up, did you have an interest in art, uh, museums? What, what was sort of the, the passion for your, you know, for your I, I, uh, I would say, you know, my mother taught ballet. So there was always an appreciation for kind of fine art, higher art aesthetic um and perhaps discipline you know when i was 18 i went to new york and just fell really in love with the cultural access that that city permitted um that was all rather new to me but no no particular interest or desire to like be an artist and when when did sort of those aspirations or your your passion for art kind of gear shift to the next level i mean that's a good question i can i can point to when i began to find cryptocurrency for sure as like a pivotal 
turning points in my life where I began to kind of assume more sovereignty and control over my actions and decision making. Um, so then when you begin to kind of assume the role of, I guess, a creator, I think that is when you begin to think about the things that you want and the things that other people might want. Um, yeah. And is that a, is that a different way of thinking and living than from when you previously found crypto? Yeah. You know, because the, the economic system is of course set up where you you produce generally for other people mm -hmm. right so being the beneficiary of your own production um i think is like a recognition of of sovereignty so meaning that i always had bosses <laughs> a, a fancy way of saying you you worked for somebody else exactly and and so previously then working for for bosses for others what what comprised uh you know the majority of of that trajectory of, of that line of work uh it was you know a constant exploration of the intersection of finance and impact um it, you know when i was coming out of college it was pretty much peak great recession uh i had a wonderful degree and no opportunities so i took the first thing that was given to me and it was you know an investment banking shop shop and i did that for as long as i could take which was six months um, and I found it totally devoid and meaningless. And, you know, I was on hourly wage and the person right above me was making, you know, he was clearing six figures a month. Um, so that didn't, you know, feel very good from there. I wanted to explore more just like nonprofit work. I was working with United Nations Capital Development Fund for a while, uh, did that for two and a half years, but you know, that's, that's a bit of a bureaucratic nightmare. So then kind of found the in-between there of, uh, you know, working at a wealth management firm founded by vegan Buddhists. Um, wow. And that was all kind of about value of aligning your capital, which sounds great. And in practice is pretty shallow. Um, and then I had the opportunity to run the family office, uh, for a foreign family. And we were doing more of kind of the early stage angel investing venture capital uh, around energy, agriculture. Um, and that was cool. And it was in that position that I, you know, I found crypto. Mm. So it was sort of born out of your background in finance, yeah. the pursuit of perhaps more ethical and sustainable ways of wealth management and through the that pursuit you found your way to you know crypto web3 yeah you know everything i was uh, really looking for ways to maneuver and exist within the current financial architecture that was trying to facilitate the impact that I wanted to see in the world. And it, it, frankly, it just didn't exist. Right. And in school, they teach you, and I've talked about this before, but like capital is supposed to be a, a fluid value transfer mechanism. It's not, it's, it's in practice, it's just cement. All it's doing is just ingraining existing structures. So when I found, you know, 
like free flowing capital that was on the internet and digitally native and was flowing all over the world to like brilliant, innovative new ideas that got me really excited uh, because, you know, everything that I had known was really like capital being constrained to Silicon Valley and everybody having access to those deals was in, you know, a bit of this boys club. Mm -hmm. Suddenly that boys club was, was suddenly burst wide open and the accessibility to create new clubs per se, and ones that perhaps had to get back to those ethos, more alignment with the way you saw or envisioned a financial system actually working were, were, you know, the seeds of that were, were happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think capital is a great way to bootstrap ideas and community. Um, and you know, it takes buy in for ideas to actually come together. Uh, so I always have thought of the cryptocurrency market as just a futures market on ideas and thoughts. Uh, and you know, the way capital is allowed to freely flow in and out of different projects is I think a, a beautiful thing because it really allows people to, even without knowing where they're going, uh, be able to kind of participate and show their support. And then everybody can kind of just work together to figure it out. Well, right. It's like that, uh, communal feel on a global scale. Exactly. So you find crypto, what, what, what then allows you to kind of segue more into a creator and find the art and, and really zero in on that being your, your pivot away from, you know, traditional finance. I'm pretty relentless and I love to explore and, you know, I had kind of the, the time and means and necessary background to, I think, understand it very quickly. So, you know, being exposed to all of these ideas and business opportunities or ever token opportunities in, in the ICO boom uh, was interesting. And, you know, 99% of them failed, but the 1% that didn't were, you know, they were incredibly revolutionary and all of this led to um, kind of the understanding that, uh, you know, first there was an incredible group of technologists that really promoted this, then came a bunch of capital and venture capitalists. Uh, and what I thought was really missing from like the ecosystem that could onboard more, perhaps normal people, uh, <laughs> was, was the way that everybody was communicating at the time, which was through images. So I was always very fond of like not a written or spoken language for these global local communities, but that we could express ourselves visually. Um, and then kind of through experiments in, in the spatial web, have these kind of co-created centers where we can gather and, and talk. And, uh, you know, that was, pretty much the, you know, the, the genesis thought behind the museum. And, and what do you mean when you say communicate through images? Well, I think mediums like Instagram that are, you know, globally available, searchable. This is, this is, we're, we're communicating through our eyes. The eyes are the attention economy. These things are happening very rapidly, right? You're able to communicate. What is it? Pictures worth a thousand words. It's true. You know, you can, you gather so much more information visually than you can orally or, 
uh, even in what you can say. So, so in many ways, it was the communication of imagery. You saw it as kind of superseding words in many ways on a, on a massive, massive scale. I mean, memetics, right? There are universal symbols, applications that can travel all over this globe and are immediately understood. Mm. And, and where did the tie-in from a kind of art commerce perspective come into play? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think I recognize that people don't particularly care. The easiest way to get people to care about something is to get them to buy it, right? So once they are invested financially is generally when they begin to like exercise autonomy and authority and decision-making in that thing that they are invested in. And that is when they care about it. And, and why, why is that? Do you think? I think because capitalism won. <laughs> you know like people just care about the things that are theirs there's you know object you know massive commodification and uh the desire innate human desire to just have as much as possible that feels pretty like deeply ingrained into our evolutionary history so so more the fact that the ownership piece, if, if, if I own something, I've put my money behind it, it's quote unquote mine. I care about it more because it's mine. And I, and, and, and frankly, I like the, the transitioning of like all of this massive physical consumption into the idea that it could be digital consumption, right? That seems more sustainable to me. And it seems to like fulfill this almost innate human need that we have to uh, consume and be recognized for the objects that we have. And I wanted to definitely shift that away from just like massive physical consumption. Well, and, and also too, there's, there's no limit. You could conceivably think it could, it could be argued that on a physical plane, there's a, there's a finite amount of things, totally. but digitally there could be infinite. Totally. So how does that, do you think play into that whole idea of amassing continuing to amass are we essentially feeding into are we feeding the beast well i would like to think we're just evolving out of scarcity right mm. i don't think we need to i think we almost have we i think we have enough resources we have a resource allocation problem and then we have certain power structures that hold things in place for certain reasons but if we can begin to move into like post-scarcity and begin to provide for people in these ways, uh, I think this is helping to bring us there. So essentially moving out of scarcity mentality into an abundant mentality totally. and seeing where that wavelength takes society rather than the former, which promotes this idea, well, I have to, I have to get and get and get and consume and consume and consume. Here it's more it's almost like more intentional consuming. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think everything I try to do is trying to like align with my, my, my morals. Uh, so I think it is like a moral imperative that we move away from like physical consumption.
And did you always have that moral belief or was it influenced uh, by the work with the uh, Buddhist uh, wealth management group? Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, only, only in like the, um, you know, I don't want to be mean, but only in like the false profiteering that was going on, right? Trying to live a little more authentically than the message and marketing that they were providing. And so, so in I don't that... really get how to be like a Zen Buddhist in a in a capitalist world. Yeah, build, you know, like I. That's, I don't, you know, there's enough information for people to put things together and I just don't really want to speak on that or like wish, but, uh, yeah. Well, it just seems like they're, they're, we can, we can pivot. It just seems like those two things are very, when, when you said it initially, I was like, those, those two, those two things seem to sit on very different goalposts. The, the Zen Buddhist wealth management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, I'm not like, I mean, there's certainly a spiritual component to what we do. I think it's ethical as well. I think, you know, the whole idea is to just empower sovereign creators, try and get people to, to break out of the system, realize their own uh, ability to create, to like reintroduce the childlike wonder imagination. Um, that so many people talk about finding here and then give people the ability to just connect to others globally around a shared common interest. And I think the best shared common interest or thing that can spark any sort of discussion or conversation is art. Mm. Um, so when you're in these digital spaces, it doesn't matter sex, race, religion, creed, where you are in the world, you can be, you can take whatever form you want in the metaverse, you can go see an art object, and you can have a conversation about how you feel. Um, and for me, that is, that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Suddenly, everything else dissolves, you're connecting human to human, the world feels much smaller, and the problems suddenly don't feel as, as, as big as people might make them out to be. Totally. And would you say, for, for those who don't know, uh, is that is that the mu is that the 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 mission statement of uh, the Museum of Crypto Art, or is that maybe maybe talk a little bit about just for again for listeners who may not be aware what what the Museum of Crypto Art is and and sort of how that ethos that you just described influences? Yeah, it. so you know, like when I stepped into this, the metaverse was green grass, blue sky, right? There was just like nothing there. So the first thought is is you know what do I want to create here? What is it that interests me? And the idea is let's build, you know, a structure that begins to like assign history, value and importance to the artifacts that are being created here. Let's invite people inside to begin to have conversations. Let's show how quickly we can just create digital exhibitions and and host these conversations. And, you know, whereas normal museums take six months, a year, two years to put together shows and exhibitions. You know, we were doing it in a couple of weeks and we've now like reduced that to, you know, we've had ideas for exhibitions and we have this interoperable architecture that allows us to spin up and deploy shows in minutes. Wow. Um, so, you know, the, I think the biggest problem, anyways, I went way off topic, <laughs> but I'm going to keep going because I like this thought, uh, like the biggest problem with cultural institutions of today is that they cannot respond in time to culturally relevant events. 
right? But digital artists have the ability now to like respond in time um, to like create memetic references and timestamp them and leave them on the blockchain and let everybody know that, for example, like today was the day that Wall Street bets, you know, fucked over all the hedge funds. And like a bunch of artists were, you know, making memes about that. And I think that's cool. And, uh, you know, the ability then for somebody like myself to kind of do a bit of a curating or meta architecting and putting all of these things together and then hosting that conversation uh, is is something I really enjoy. Mm. And where do you derive most of the inspiration for the collections and the curations that you decide to put forth? Um, you know, so the museum just structurally is a nonprofit foundation. It's internationally based. Um, there is a collection of 250 pieces that it owns. Those are uh, one work from 250 artists who minted prior to December 2020. I think that collection in general, which has been showcased all over the world um, and also in plenty of different digital metaverses, uh, is really a look at the kind of like sub collective subconscious of these creators before there was a massive market event. Um, so what were the precursors that led to, right, this this major thing called NFTs really like exploding because, you know, it, it came from art and, and that was really, really surprising. Um, so that is the collection that the museum has. Uh, there is also a collection of 9,000 artworks that our community contributed. Um, and that also is kind of just like a, a check on like, what are the things out there that people are finding important? How can we begin to like pull out and share artwork outside of the context of a marketplace? Um, and, you know, from there we have the ability to create shows and then deploy them into these rooms, which are 3D interoperable architecture, NFTs that can, can travel uh, to many different worlds, including Webiverse, Hyperfy, uh, Somnium, Decentraland, uh, Arium, uh, Spatial, uh, kind of on and on and on and on, Zilla Hubs, VRChat. So, which is really kind of fascinating to process. So it's essentially these collections don't, it's like they're above space time in some way. Yeah. I mean, and the cool thing about it is, you know, Filecoin just gave us a grant to build a, a way back machine. Well, one for the archival and storage of all of these assets, but two for kind of like a way back machine for the curations that are being done. Right. So all of these curations exist on chain. Uh, all of the artworks are like immutably stored and can be retrieved at any time. So it also kind of does facilitate that role of the museum as a preservation uh, and, you know, archival solution. Hmm. And, and, and what do you think in terms of an archival solution? How does that impact art? just as we know it in terms of archiving. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the other director of the museum, Shivani, she tells stories of, you know, working in museums where, 
you know, their digital archival solution was to like scan something and then upload it as a PDF to JSTOR. Um, so I, you know, <laughs> I think, uh, I think just the decentralized nature of the blockchain is, you know, it is, uh, it's resilient enough that there is no single point of failure. And ideally there are redundancies being backed up in many, many places. Uh, so, you know, I think it's a, a certainly, I, I believe it to be a better archival solution than whatever museums are doing currently. And is that, is that one of the goals of the museum of crypto art is to be the archival solution for digital assets? Um, particularly, I don't say there's any goals like that. I would, we can, we have, we've proven something and I'd like to take those lessons to other people and they can find a way to do it that they feel fit. I'm, you know, I wouldn't tell moment that they like have to use our technology, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm down to help them, you know, figure out ways to incorporate blockchain to, uh, hopefully, yeah, you know, store what they have because you know everything physical of course is like ashes to ashes dust to dust it eventually will be gone and yet digital will remain and yet the digital will remain for sure you know they just like like for example they had that massive fire in that museum in brazil i think the national museum of brazil they lost like 90 percent of of those cultural artifacts and that's just like gone forever. So, you know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we care in some capacity to like communicate and experience and be with the past in this way? And I think that's important. Yeah. And, and, and with the, the addendum to that question being, is there a difference between, so to use the Brazil example, Suppose you have access to those collections that are now gone in digital form. And does that change the relationship between people and the artifacts or, or the, you know, something from history, if it's digitized or not? I think 100% because like people don't probably don't know this, but the Smithsonian, for example, has a wonderful uh, CCO creative commons archive like of 3D objects of just historical whatever. They have like primate skulls through all of human evolution. They have like busts of George Washington. And, you know, that inspired me enough to go download Blender and begin to like assemble all these historical artifacts into a scene. And that is a new and novel way in which like I am engaging with history that otherwise I would not be able to see, experience, touch. And it's teaching me to like, or it's encouraging me to just be creative in collaging these in 3D space. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. Well, and, and, and to your point too, the, the, ac the accessibility I think is, you know, there, there's, there's, it's creating permanence in impermanence in the sense that, yeah. you know, God forbid another Brazil fire. Well, at least hopefully these 
collections are digitized in some way so that while they physically may be lost in this realm, they still exist and other people can continue to experience them in the event of such a catastrophe. Totally. So Museum of Crypto Art is born. You've amassed the, the uh, 20, 250 uh, piece collection that's been uh, shown worldwide. What's, what's the sort of, what, what do you hope to, what do you hope to inspire in yourself and other artists through the museum? Yeah, I want to totally invert traditional museum power structure and make it a and take a ground up approach instead of kind of a top down uh, selection and pushing of culture. Right? It's it's no surprise that the majority of artifacts in museums come from white Western male, right? So you have this very limited voice. Um, and and just showcasing blockchain technology as that uh, kind of like egalitarian force that democratizes market access and inclusivity is key to what we're doing, right? I want to see and I want people to be able to express their creative voice from wherever they are. I want it shown in our museum. I want to give them the tools to showcase and highlight the weird corners and just not play into like market narratives around what is art because the market narratives are literally replicating the same thing because that is what that art power structure is trying to control and dictate. And so by doing that, it's opening up the idea of what art can be to people who may have perhaps been fed a limited scope of what art or what they think art is. So on this journey, what, what has helped validate that the museum of crypto art has staying power and, and that people it's something people uh, have enjoyed and will continue to enjoy. Okay. This is great. I have a perfect example. Um, you know, we have, we have a token that is, uh, it, it allows people to contribute their voice in a, in a curatorial manner. Um, and, you know, we had a third party doing a streaming vest of our team share token, right? That third party was hacked. Uh, the token price they, they dumped it open market down from $3 to 25 cents. And there was not a single person, whatever, 3,000, 4,000 holders of the token, not a single person complained about price, right? Because they got it. They weren't there for like the price of this token to go up. You know, they just wanted to be included in the mission. And that was incredible. That was, you know, the worst and best day of the project. Because of course, like, and then, and then also, you know, all of the team incentive was wiped out and it's not like everybody just threw up their gloves. We just like doubled down into it because people love it. You know, they actually, actually care, right? The artists care about the mission. The team cares about the mission. Um, and it was such a wonderful outpouring of support for like 
what we were doing and everybody's saying that just just keep going and like of course like i think it's in it's in our blood now mm. and what what a great representation of the community that you have built and are continuing to build whereby it not only showcases the museum's resilience but that of everybody involved totally totally that's how you know just also like the movement has staying power Right. It's like people have connected through these like I have friends all over the world now. It's incredible. You know, everywhere I go, there's there's some it's just it's wonderful. And it's such a beautiful thing to feel that like interrelatedness and be able to come home and like be filled with so much gratitude and desire to just like dive back fully into the project each and every time. And it, And do you think that by the project existing that other artists are taking note and are being inspired to, as you had said earlier, kind of lean into their weird corner of the world and, and create the art that is most honest for them, knowing that if nothing else, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that this place exists to, to put forth those ideas and those thoughts and those yeah, images. I hope so. I hope so. If we can inspire one person to share their weird little voice and try and like bring them to the center and say like, it's cool. Like we want to showcase this, like your experience is valid and matters. And like, we recognize you. That was always the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, incidentally, I ended up acquiring all of these pieces, but the only thing I was trying to do in like bidding on artwork was just to tell people that it was like, you know, especially when I was going through like old stuff on super rare stuff that had been there for like two and a half years untouched on bid, like, just say like, Hey, I see this, you know, I think it's cool. And just leaving that timestamp as a recognition and acknowledgement that like you created something, you put energy into something, you shared it online. Like I saw it, I recognize it and I give it value. And it doesn't particularly matter what that dollar sign is. But I think people recognizing each other in that way and it being whatever, anonymous or or trustless, like all of these are, are potential features, right? I'll say now, you know, like we're trying to orchestrate, you know, an anonymous artist exhibition for women in Iran to begin mm. to like visually communicate to the outside world what they're experiencing and what they're feeling. Wow. Which is no small undertaking, I think, particularly with the, I mean, in the news every day, seemingly the, the tensions and the violence continues to get, get more and more aggressive. And so I think that's a, I mean, there's also a real risk associated with that as well. Totally. Like, I don't think there's individual risk for us. There's individual risk for the artists. Right. Of course. Right. But like, I think we have an, this is like literally our obligation to showcase these things because this is an exemplary example of what crypto art means. And, and to your point from earlier, the stories that can be told from the imagery. Totally. So maybe, maybe if we could use that as a, just a, we can blow this up as a, an example of how one of these curations could, could go down. So 
let's walk through the process. Is it is it contacting? Do you reach out to artists specifically? Is it artists coming to you? How how do you choose? You know which artists, which pieces. How, how is that and how the narrative the, you know i have i have i will say i have given up control and processes and kind of just go entirely on gut and instinct right uh we we did recently hire a director of programming that has put a little more structure into <laughs> <laughs> into my life and and what we decide to do and showcase um but like i said you know once we have the art it takes us 30 minutes to put it into an exhibition and deploy it into a world Wow. Right. And then suddenly people can just instantly be there. So, you know, if there are good and novel and interesting ideas, uh, and that's, you know, that technology we are like giving to people so they have the ability to do that as well. Right. So that is our kind of floor, rooms, architecture, and ecosystem. All of our curation technology is free. Um, and those rooms are are how we fund you know, the development of new technology um, and kind of pay the the writers that, that do the storytelling. And and once a, a piece or a collection is up, how long does it stay in, in the space? You know, the, the idea is that now we've we've worked to a point where generally it can stay forever. Right? Oh wow. And and Filecoin gave us the grants. To, to build the technology so that if, if it does go away, it's immutably stored on chain so it can be instantly retrieved. So it's, it's, it's almost like it has a, a permanent home base that can then be... So anybody could just call that architecture and, and reproduce that show at any time. Wow. So you don't have to be in Brazil to <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't have to be anywhere you know it's 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 crazy because you know i think of my legacy as as like you know my blockchain history i i literally think of like these are all the people all over the world that i'm touching that is much more important to me like the energy effects of those ripples and and everything that was done in the beginning leading to this point so like now just give as many people the power to do the same and suddenly, you know, you might have been just an artist, but now you're an artist, you're a collector, you're a curator, and you, you, you know, you run a room in the Museum of Crypto Art. So you are the museum. All of these decentralized nodes are the museum. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I don't matter anymore. That's kind of the whole goal of this is just to like make myself as obsolete as possible and just kind of let it carry on independently without me and let the collective voices just speak to the power of the platform. Wow. So it's almost like you gave birth to the platform. The platform grows up a little bit and you know, the platform turns 18 and 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 you're kind of like, all right, you're you're <laughs> look, I am nothing. I am nothing without like Renee and the tech team at Quellcode and the co-director of the museum Shivani. They're way better than me. Like, you know, I, I was here just a little bit earlier, but they were able to like realize and create something that I could only like kind of talk about. Well, how, and, and, and how were you able to take your ideas and communicate them in a way that helped them 
how, how did you help empower them through what you could only, as you were saying, sort of intellectually recognize as this thing? Yeah, I think, again, when you give intelligent, smart people freedom to create passionately from their hearts, they're going to do everything to the best of their ability instead of like sitting over them and telling them what to do. Right. Like if you have enough honest communication about the thing, then eventually they if you know, smart, intelligent people kind of they get it. Right. It's not like a it's not a crazy concept, but kind of the, the bricks along the road to like lay it out or like the breadcrumbs to take somebody into, you know, that position. You know, Renee was like long time Ethereum 2017 Web3 developer, like best of the best, absolutely brilliant. And, you know, Shivani, I, I poached out of like a Harvard medical lab, but she had a background in, in art history and computer science as well. And, you know, the, the just like trusting the universality of it, like everything has happened as it was supposed to, and the right people have been attracted to the project in unspeakable ways. Wow, which which is an incredibly holistic approach, but I think you nailed on something extremely important, which is empowering people to both listen to and and follow through with what their heart is speaking for. And and yeah. You know, in contrast, it sounded like the early days of working for a boss. Uh, you know, uh, in 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 those older or or you know traditional financial models, it, 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 that it does. Just going out on a limb here, it doesn't sound like that's the environment where your heart is perhaps allowed to express itself in the way that is both most meaningful for it and most beneficial to whatever's being worked on. Yeah, I mean, look, I have never told anybody no, right? I'm down to have a conversation, but if they want to do something, like, hell yeah. Like, the project is meant to be plug and play. Like, if you love and care and passionate about something, like, here are the tools, let's do it. Um, it's not, it's, it really, I really truly believe it to be very antithetical to the traditional art world, which is built around gatekeeping and exclusivity and access. This is just the opposite. And I think, frankly, that intimidates a lot of people because it's so outside of any model that they know. And like a lot of people are scared to make that leap of faith into something that is so new and so different and really requires like a lot of trust in other people. Well, and, 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 and that trust, particularly in today's world, is there's a, to cultivate that trust is, is in itself an asset. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, trust, is, there's, there's no trust in this world, right? There's just, I mean, I think capitalism breeds competition. So when you begin to play in abundant spaces with people who who like bring a lot of love and care and passion to what they do and are very genuine and authentic, 
like the rules of, of the whole architecture are totally re rewritten and how we begin to interact and appreciate one another. Again, it's like individuals is, is really enhanced. I think I catch just personally a lot of flack for being very critical of people that like continue to push like the hyper commodification of art. And, you know, I was very anti like PFP in the beginning because, you know, there's something so much more beautiful about like assembling a collection of artwork that you care about instead of like huddling into a corner with 10,000 people and saying like, this is the best, this is the best, this is the best. Um, those are very diametrically opposed concepts. Like you, you can be whatever you want to be, but please don't choose to be like a member of an in-group and say like, this is the most important in-group. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and, 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 and I would imagine then that the same, on the same wavelength, you wouldn't want to someone to be part of an in-group and then act or behave or, or, or communicate in a way that was a little more selfish or narcissistic or, you know, something that, that would not promote communal gain, but perhaps just individual gain. Right. I think like Board Ape Yacht Club was absolute, like the biggest exemplar of just like how trashy and terrible and fucked up the world is, right? <laughs> when, when you begin to mix like these aesthetically horrendous pictures of apes with like all of this venture capital money with like all of these like Hollywood, you know, storytelling professionals, like pimping out celebrities so that people just follow in behind, you know, like, and then they're, then they're just caught holding the bag. Like everybody else loses. These people are pretty much untouchable. Everybody, there are no consequences. Right. Other than now, like a class action lawsuit against all of these celebrities who did pimp these things. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward, then, how, how what can we expect? I know you mentioned the project uh, with the Iranian uh, women and, and uh, artists. And uh, in addition to that, what, what can we expect to see? from the museum, from you in the coming months? Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully just more subversive, subversive avant-garde, weird corner fetching, all of the wonderful things that uh, we have the liberty to do as a nonprofit, you know, we get to do. And we have to go back and reset the layer of trust uh, amongst the participants because NFT globally now is a really, really dirty word. Um, and I have to prove that that NFT and crypto art in particular was not just a market innovation, but that there is actually like real art here and there's an important culture being expressed and the blockchain as a tool is permitting all of these voices to be heard and these digital spaces, this movement into spatial web um, is a like real powerful occurring phenomenon, um, that has me and so many people like 
totally enraptured and, and wanting to, you know, speak on its behalf. Um, and that's, you know, that's within the museum and then just personally continuing to build tools, you know, outside of that for artists, for their creative freedom and self-expression. With that said, do you think that what's the biggest obstacle then in terms of communicating to people that NFTs and the crypto sphere aren't, isn't, it's not this scary place. Sure, there are examples recently of things going, you know, completely amok, but, you know, there's also the example that you provided of when, when the coin for the company uh you know plummeted and and everybody stuck by the mission and and it wasn't about you know making a profit on the coin so you know one small microcosm of a bigger uh call it industry how, how do you combat folks who think oh well this is just a fad this isn't anything I mean, I show them a piece of exemplary art that couldn't exist anywhere else. Mm. It couldn't exist in any other medium. Um, and I have, you know, I have like a go-to project that I think does that really, really well. Do you care to speak about it here? Uh, sure. I mean, look, I am entirely, you know, I, I have eight. So this is, you know, certainly biased, but I think they're great. Uh, and that's, that's Matt Cain's Gazer's project. Um, because one, the, the complexity isn't off the charts. Uh, it's aesthetically just gorgeous. I think globally, every culture has some, you know, recognition of kind of looking at the moon and being appreciative of the moon. Uh, there's a very individual connection that people have when gazing upon the moon. Um, and it's a living dynamic artwork that changes with the lunar cycle. Mm. And that literally just couldn't exist anywhere else. Um, so, you know, one of, one of those will, will set you back like 50, thousand bucks <laughs> it's not like it's not like big alpha here anymore but that's a project i love to show to, to people first because it it just makes the art very uh real and apparent and 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 people get it yeah yeah and 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 i think the again getting back to the heart of it all the there's an intersection with that particular piece that you you mentioned um where you can feel as an observer the the heart that the artist put into it yeah. and sort of then there's that connection between you know with with the filament being the piece itself between artist and and viewer and then on a 5000 foot view you know the museum being part of that uh excuse me helping to foster that connection yeah exactly and I want to be able to just, you know, I, it's, it's really uh, just offering as many little breadcrumbs for people to then just like take the initiative to go down the rabbit hole, discover work that is interesting to them, connect with those artists, um, and hopefully like begin to consider themselves, 
you know, art collector because it, it helped me through a lot. It's, it's certainly made me better. Um, and yeah, yeah, there's, that's a whole other side to this, <laughs> my, you know, my personal journey through this, but, um, you know, art is different to everybody and the individual meaning that you derive, whether you own it or not, it's just, it's wonderful to be exposed to creators instead of kind of like a pre-programmed Instagram feed or, uh, you know, all of these other algorithms that were tuned to really leave us in the same state as we were yesterday. Mm. There is something very exploratory and self-defining about like digging through the crates of artwork and just like seeing and just noticing what catches your eye and why and beginning to like describe that to yourself like why do i care about this piece well it's you know there is it's either it's either a mirror or a door right i i think that might be another matt kane quote but like art is either a mirror or a door in that it's reflecting something back to you that you are familiar with or relate to or it's opening a new perspective for you to embark upon. Well said. Would you, on that tip, care to comment on the personal journey uh, that that these um, works have have kind of taken you on, and and how they've added value to your life? Yeah, certainly. You know, like I having gone through you know, the ICO boom and working with a lot of people and putting together a, a significant amount of investments. Uh, I found myself just like very personally unfulfilled. Uh, and I found myself ending up having worked, you know, in, in like the frenzy of it all with just like not the best people. Um, so that market and that dynamic just attracted, uh, you know, something that didn't make me feel good about the work. Mm. So it was definitely an intentional shift to get out of finance, again, to begin to like find a truer, better, more authentic version of myself um, at a time, you know, when I was feeling like broken, confused. And, you know, I was pretty much like all alone in the woods. So I gave myself a lot of personal space to like discover and re-engineer and rebuild a new or a better myself, better version of myself. So, you know, I, like, it's incredible to go back through the collection that I have because just like, you know, that song that puts you right back in that place, those artworks kind of weave the path that, that I took and I can see something in each one that I was either moving towards or running away from. And, um, and then at the end of the day, if, you, if that makes you feel something, then you end up feeling less alone. Uh, mm. And whereas working in business or finance can 
can make you feel very alone and very in competition and like at the behest of somebody else, well, suddenly like here is somebody that is relating and connecting to the world in the same way that I am. Um, and you begin to rediscover pieces of you that you either didn't know existed or had been lost or forgotten. So I encourage everybody to just, yeah, begin to explore. I love it. And in, in many ways, like any art form, whether it's, as you mentioned, music or, or any other piece of something that can connect you to others or other ideas, it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear how your journey sort of, how, how art influenced your healing journey in a way yeah i mean that that was real therapy for me you know i've like been i've been to therapists i've spoken with therapists like that doesn't work like i think you know and everything i found the best way is to just do it yourself but you got to figure out how to do it yourself amen amen well for folks uh interested in in trying to maybe take the first step and figuring it out themselves or potentially getting more involved with uh, the museum or, or getting in contact with you? What's the best way for people to, you know, find you, find the museum, yeah. find what's happening? Uh, website is a good start, www.museumofcryptoart.com. We have a native DAP, that's app, app.museumofcryptoart.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Museum of Crypto, on Instagram at Museum of Crypto Art. My personal Twitter handle is co one b-o-r-n um and dms are open so hit us up let us know what excites you and what interests you and hopefully we can do something together amazing well colburn bell thank you again for your time and uh lending your uh, experience and uh you know anecdotes uh about both web3 and your own personal trajectory really really enjoyed the time appreciate it man thank you for the opportunity thanks for listening to another episode of lights camera crypto a podcast produced by matt bogart and essential media music by brian duncan and kareem imes if you enjoyed this experience be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.